Well, good afternoon or good morning, ladies and gentlemen, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. This is the third of four podcasts that we've been working on following the webinar presentation uh, organized by the RICS on the 1st of June. If you missed the the first and second ones, I would recommend that you listen to them. On the first podcast, we had contributions from three major procurers of construction projects, getting the employer's viewpoint on the conflict avoidance process. On the second podcast, we had a very interesting session with three individuals who have all acted as CAP professionals, and they were able to give us a very interesting insight into how successful this process has been to date. This third podcast involves the supply chain, and I'm very pleased to welcome our three guests today. First of all, Alan Wilson. Alan is the Managing Director of Select and Chairman of the CICV Forum, and a member of the Construction Scotland Industry Leadership Group. Uh, Alan's organisation has 1,260 member businesses. They employ 15,000 operatives and 3,500 apprentices and the combined turnover is approximately £1 billion. Our second guest is Hayley Lorimer, the Director of Membership Services in the Federation of Master Builders. FMB has 7,300 member organisations across the UK and Northern Ireland, and average employees in the region of 36,000 operatives. Last but not least is Ian Honeyman, Commercial Director of the Scottish Building Federation, They have 280 member organisations in Scotland, employing 22,000 people, and the combined turnover is 4.5 billion. Now, I must say, I was absolutely flabbergasted to see these statistics today, just to show you the reach of the organisations that are joining us today, uh, particularly down the supply chain. So what we're going to be talking about is how these organizations view CAP and the benefits they think it can bring to their members. So Alan, first up with you, would you perhaps maybe just give us a a view on why you, you joined the conflict avoidance process and how important you think it is for your membership? Yeah, thanks, Lynn. I think the important issue in relation to any conflict is early intervention. I think we all know the longer things go on, the more difficult it is to resolve, the more entrenched people become in their positions. So the conflict avoidance program is a good opportunity for early intervention in terms of disputes to make sure that businesses and clients of all sizes and levels actually speak together because often what we we realize in speaking to our own members is they will come to us some months or in fact years down the line of a contract the dispute has gone to solicitors, might even be in court, and then they ask for information and advice. And by that stage, of course, if, if there is anything we can do, uh, it's not very easy to do anything because it has reached that stage of legal intervention. So I think the, the important thing for me and our membership is that early intervention and making sure that, that disputes are effectively, you know, one of their expression nipped in the bud and people can continue to work forward and keep good relationships in the contract. Okay, thank you. And I really pose the same question to Hayley. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Len. Really, the the conflict avoidance pledge fits very well with the the ethos of the FMB around resolving and preventing disputes. 
and we we do offer an ADR service free of charge to our members and their clients, and that's certified by the Chartered Traded Standards Institute. So it's based around mediation, and the whole aim of that is is to get the parties together around the table talking to each other to sort out disputes at an early stage. We also offer suite of contracts, templates for our members to use, which are written in such a way as to facilitate keeping the communication channels going through the through the building project and, and helping to keep conversations going that will hopefully avoid and nip disputes in the bud before they go either to ADR or further than that into litigation. So that's what we're all about, really, because our, our members typically will be working for um, domestic homeowners. So the disputes can get very emotional because these are people's homes, by and large, that they're, they're, that is the subject of the dispute. And individuals can be spending a great deal of money. Typically, most of the cases that go through our process, the average value of them would be between 80 and 100,000 pounds. And that's a lot of money for any domestic homeowner to have found and a lot of money at stake when there's a dispute. So that, that's where we're coming from with all of this and why we support the, um, the conflict avoidance pledge really, Len. Okay. Thank you. Ian. Yeah. Pretty, pretty similar, similar lines. Uh, obviously from the, the, the sort of role that I play within the federation, I get tend to get involved in these particular issues directly with members and probably uh, a bit like Haley, sometimes coming to us from the domestic market, homeowners, etc., where we do provide a similar sort of service. And every one of these things basically comes back to a situation that if they come to speak to us sooner and earlier, things might not have escalated to the point where you can't actually get in the same room with two people because they're at each other's throats. So anything that brings something to the table and not only lets them have a look at the from a from a perspective of an independent person, but but just put a bit of basic common sense into play before we before we actually get into the, the nitty gritty what's actually happening on the job. Um, obviously, when we we as an organisation signed the pledge, it doesn't mean that all our all our members out there are, are automatically signed up to it. But what what we're trying to do is promote um, something that's new. Although it's probably not new in its concept, but it's new in terms of actually getting something into the into the, the contracts to, to make it available to look at, probably in advance of it going to any further like adjudication or anything anything else. Because I think once you're into the situation of actually adjudicating on something, parties are entrenched in a particular position, and this, in the way I see it, this particular thing allows people to take a view before they get too far down the line, and and possibly take a suddenly be told that if you realise if you go down this route on the basis of your argument, you might not win it and you might be at fault and all it does is it's going to just pro- prolong the agony for a lot longer and cost an awful lot of money. So we, we see it as being a, as, as a tool. Obviously, it's, it's fairly new in terms of the market, certainly in Scotland, and the proof's going to be in the pudding. And I think that's part and parcel of where we are at the moment, trying to promote the, the people's awareness of it. Getting it adopted, I suspect there's going to be a few things to deal with, but that no doubt we'll discuss in uh, in due, due course. Again, just a question for all three of you. In terms of creating awareness, the one thing that I've found incredible about the CICB forum is the number of organisations in the UK that are involved in the industry. So I'm interested in your thoughts on how you can percolate the information about CAP 
down through various networks. Uh, Alan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think information is obviously vital, Len. I, I think what Ian said a few moments ago, you know, it, it is early days. We all know how the industry operates. You know, it's it's always sceptical of something new. Uh, it likes to see somebody else maybe taking the pain, if that's the right expression, of the, being the first maybe to do it and then building out from there. So I think if there was a couple of cases where it was shown to have worked well and, and to have actually helped businesses, I think that's probably its, its best form of promotion. But in the meantime, you know, we similarly have an independent complaints mechanism for domestic work, but you know, CAP is is more formed at the contractual element of of our work. So that defines it in the sense of a, a different size of our member businesses. But the important thing for that is to get the information out as widely as we can. You know, we've got magazine articles that you've helped to produce. We've done our own uh, select TV series on a number of these issues, including CAP. So it's really continually drip feeding that information because, again, if you don't tell the members regularly that this uh, procedure accepts, then they will forget about it too. You know, and if you only remind them once a year, the chances are they'll have forgotten it existed to start with. So it's getting A to the right people and B, getting the messages out regularly. Okay, Ian, would you go along with what Alan said? Yeah, I, I think, as I say, we obviously put some of the stuff information out on our, on our, on our bulletins that we send out on a monthly basis. If there's specific articles to go out attached to that, we'll obviously include it there. There's a link on our website there for our members area to it, et cetera. In terms of getting it out into the, into the marketplace, I think it's, um, it's probably, it's probably fair to say that getting the awareness is one thing. Getting it into a contract that actually benefits everybody is going to be a tough ask. I think I think the, the the clients obviously in some respects start this process off, and our engagement obviously have have engagement with a number of different clients, and it's trying to persuade them to start the process off. Now it may well be that CAP could be introduced into the situation where the employer and the, the main contractor are, are have it in place, but that doesn't necessarily feed down the chain, and there may be reasons for that because trying to persuade a main contractor to take something on board where it's not up the line and is effectively offering it to their subcontractors is a cultural change big big time because the last thing that they want to be in a situation is is basically resolving the dispute that's there but further up the line they can't get it resolved and they end up carrying the can so it's it's a it's a thing that you really need to get to the to the heart of cooperation and collaboration and base it and I think that's coming as a matter of course because the adversarial route that we're all on and have been for so long is becoming um, extremely tedious. It's costing an absolute fortune. And we recognise in the in the in the current circumstances where we've got labour shortages and such like we need to be working collaborative because otherwise we'll not have people want to work for us. So I think this just becomes another promotional thing to say, look, this is we we want to work with you and we're offering this as a as a sort of backstop if there is any kind of dispute. So there's an independent party to come in and if we have a problem, we can always call on somebody else to help us out. That, that's where I see it being is trying to promote it in that fashion rather than it being a, a dispute resolution service. It's a, it's a pro-collaboration service, if you like. That's the way I would look at it. Really? Any thoughts? Yeah, that is a good way of looking at it, actually, a sort of positive spin on it. As I've already said, most of our members are operating in the domestic homeowner sector. So in that way, I don't see them as being part of the supply chain, really, because they're contractors in their own right who are carrying out projects 
for homeowners. But having said that, about a quarter of our members do work for commercial clients or in the public sector. And maybe that's the segment of our members that we would be aiming at with information about this. So we have written blogs and put information on the website, etc., about it. But I, I don't know what the others feel about this. I sense amongst our membership that members are reluctant to talk at the beginning of a project to their clients about disputes at all because they want to start off on on the right foot thinking that this is all going to go well and there isn't going to be a dispute. I liken it a little bit to you know, signing a prenuptial agreement before you get married. They, they don't want to start off the project talking about what could go wrong. So it generally isn't thought much about until something does go wrong, which is maybe a, a mindset that we need to start thinking more about because, you know, things can and, and do often go wrong with complicated building projects. So that's where we're coming from with, with this. And, and as the others have said, it's one thing to promote something to your members and write about it and raise their awareness and you can take a horse to water, but you can't necessarily make it sign up. So we are doing things to raise awareness of, of our members about this, but it is a hard battle at the moment to to get any kind of messages through to people at the SME end of the construction sector because they are really up against it at the moment with increasing materials prices and shortages and delays with getting materials, skills shortages, you know, general inflation. And and we are seeing increasing numbers of disputes. We're just beginning to understand why. Partly it's to do with pandemic and other things causing added stress to everybody along the chain, really which is resulting in more disputes. So I don't know what the answer is to all of this, but I, I know what some of the questions are. So, yeah. Just picking up, that, that's a very good point. There's been made two things, Alan. The, the Scottish government has been very supportive of the CAP coalition and the conflict avoidance process, which is terrific. But just picking up the point that, that, that Haley has made, and, and we had a discussion, as you know, yesterday about material increases and pressure and contractors and also the mental health issues. Do you think in terms of like material problems that conflict avoidance process could be brought into that in terms of discussions between a procurer and the contractors? Yeah, I, I think it's an opportunity, Len. I mean, just going back to the point that, that Ian kind of raised and then Haley's built on, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting issue, isn't it, you know, about the what we call things and, and, and what the image that gives. I, I remember working for another trade body and we had a, a guarantee of work scheme and we produced a leaflet that members were to give to customers and it talked about a complaints mechanism and what would happen if things went wrong and we, the trade body, would pay to put things right if they didn't go back and do it. Now, as, as Haley said, you know, when you give that to a customer at the outset, they're thinking, oh gosh, this is really not seen as a positive by them, but almost seen as a, oh, this firm is going to try and do me or if they, you know, I go out of business. So I think there's maybe, you know, we retitled CICV, as you know, from the Construction Collective Voice. So there's maybe something to, to think about in that respect, you know, what image that name gives, you know, across the board. Because I think Ian's right, it's about the spirit of collaboration and, you know, the adversarial nature of construction, the way it's set up in contracts, the way in which pricing's done, 
it's all in that way, you know, and, and to a way, maybe the name is kind of reinforcing the fact that we're going to have a conflict here. Maybe that's a debate for a further day, but I think it is important to take that point on board. Coming back to your particular question about, you know, material shortages and, and the impacts that increases have, and, you know, quite right to flag up the issue about mental health because it is a significant issue for all of us. I don't see why not. You know, I, I think I know that you've made some good strides in discussions with various officials across the construction field in Scotland in regard to the use of CAP. And I think, you know, we need to build on that going forward. As Haley again has said, the challenge at the moment is that lots of these businesses, especially the small end of the sector, are faced with, you know, day-to-day running of businesses, getting paid, getting material that something like this is, is not particularly on their line of sight. But I think it's incumbent upon us as trade association and professional bodies to make it available. And, and, and again, as has been said by Ian, you know, perhaps the case in terms of discussion is not necessarily with our members per se, but more with the clients and making sure that they actually uh, introduce it into their contracts and in, in their procuring regimes. You know, so I think that might be a very good route to go down. Ian, I know we've had several conversations in the last fortnight that you've been talking to your members about this. And, you know, let's face, we have to look at the downsides and we have to look at people's concerns and try and address these. What sort of messages were coming back from some of your members? In terms of the, the, the cost increases and such, like obviously that's causing, a, that's causing a major concern, but it also indicates when you raise something in terms of a potential issue on a contract, it's amazing how quickly everything reverts back to what the contract says rather than what maybe everybody's intention at the start of the thing. And unfortunately, the bulk of the contracts are written in such a way as it's difficult to get any of this kind of money back. And if there's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow at the top of the line, unfortunately, it's not going to materialise. So it is a case of recognising that this issue isn't just one that affects the contractor's all the way down the line, it affects the client, and the client has to take some responsibility for it as well. Can't they can't be expected it to be picked up? Because if they do, then the next job to come to build, you might not have the same contractors available to build it, or they might choose not to build it for you because you've been kind of unreasonable, etc., etc. So, I think that this whole issue in terms of the cost, it's probably unprecedented for that. Certainly in the last, I mean, obviously there was a there was issues in 2008-9 and such like, but that was being like a banking thing. This is something that's affecting everybody and way, way beyond the construction sector. It's absolutely everything, including, you know, everybody in your own house. Everybody's money's not going as far as it was as it was. So it's bound to have ripple effects. The danger and such like is if we don't recognise that and do something to support all businesses right the way down the, the supply chain, then we probably won't have a supply chain as robust as it, as it should be. And the other thing I think to bear in mind on that line is at the end of the day, Construction is one of these bizarre situations where the actual building that's getting built or the work that's getting done is actually paid for by the people who are building it until the client ultimately settles the bill. So all the work that's getting done, it starts off with the subcontractor at the bottom who's actually buying the material and starts off the work. He doesn't get paid for a month. Then the client puts his thing, doesn't get paid for it. And this knock-on effect, so it's like the client's building this, but he's using the contract, the supply chain's money. And that's never getting sort of recognised at the end of the day, that that's how our system's geared up and works. You're always working and giving credit at the start of a, of a project, so you're always working at risk. And as I say, if you add to that risk by just asking you to accept all the increased costs that come down the line, then it's a, there's a point where you have to say, 
I need to think about what I'm doing here. And either you put the prices up and everybody's got to pay for it, or you've got to look at a different way of working and sharing some of that some of that pain. So, but I do think it's it is a potential for a a, a sea change in the way that the uh, structure works is done. But it depends on how long this goes on for, because it may well be if it's suddenly short term, we'll go back to what we always do, instead of actually learning the lessons of what's gone on in the past. Haley, in terms of the domestic market, you mentioned there the pressures that homeowners are under and with the disruption and all sorts of other things, which I'm sure we've all experienced. How do you think homeowners would view the ability to call in a third party when things begin to emerge on the horizon to try to resolve it? Surely that would be a positive for them? You would think that, wouldn't you, Len? What we find is that homeowners are very reluctant to spend more money on that if they feel like the building project's already going awry you know they feel like they're throwing good money after bad and they want i i really like the idea of looking at this from a collaboration point of view and putting the onus on collaboration because there's an increasingly a culture of homeowners as consumers not viewing a building project as a collaboration between them and the builder i.e not thinking that they have a role to play in uh, a responsibility to first of all pay their bills on time but you know other responsibilities on making decisions and not changing things without understanding the cost implications of that so you know if if it was viewed as more of a collaborative process between the domestic homeowner and the builder I think that would maybe get us away from this kind of compensation culture that we find arises in a lot of dispute cases where the client, because something has gone wrong with their building project, they feel they're entitled to compensation and to have everything put right and somebody to come and sort it out free of charge. And that's not how the world works, is it? So that's a very difficult aspect of dealing with disputes that arise during the course of a building project and might be part of the reason why we're seeing such an increase in dispute cases, really, just that change in the culture around all of this. Yeah, just to finish on a couple of points, uh, an interesting observation from the podcast we did with the three CAP professionals was, number one, the speed with which they can get involved, and secondly, the speed with which they can get matters resolved, which has a direct impact on costs. And they all said that the costs of this process were significantly less than going to adjudication. So that must be a factor that's of, of interest. So just to summarise, Alan, the takeaway from this, keep pressing the button on it, keep messaging. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, you know, that is important. But I think, you know, I think Ian and, and Haley are on to something definitely there about this different maybe approach of selling cap, you know, about this collaborative approach. You know, I think that is really important. You know, Haley's made the point about, you know, consumers uh, have a view about that and I think Kayleigh to be honest com- a lot of commercial clients are of the same view you know that that's really a they don't pay for anything that they change and b it's nothing to do with me gov once they finish so I think what we need to do is to make sure that the information we give out to members and encourage them to use them is being seen as collaborative and I think my takeaway Len is to is to speak to government officials and client bodies about the importance of working collaboratively together to avoid disputes arising. Ian? Yeah, the, the one thing that um, from from a point of view of CAP and how it operates, I've always been of the, of the view that most of the construction disputes that certainly I see 
and don't actually occur as a direct result of a dispute with the employer. They tend to come about because of a dispute with the, the contract administrator and the main contractor or the main contractor and the subcontractor. And I think having an independent person who's got no axe to grind on any of this stuff but is looking at this from a purely contractual nature and obviously depending on the terms of the contract it could be it could be go the dispute could go one way or the other. But having somebody there looking over the shoulder, not as a sort of ogre, but there to to basically be called upon if there's a potential question as to which way this thing could go, I think would help. And if, if nothing else, it may also focus the minds of both the contractor and the contract administrator that this, this is what they should be doing as opposed to what I'm doing. So it, I think in some respects, it's almost like having a referee in the fight, isn't it? It's, it's basically, it's not a fight you want to have. You just want to have somebody there to say, look, guys, you realise if you go down these two routes, you're only going to end up one place. If you go down a different route here, we could perhaps resolve this a lot quicker, and as you say, Len, a lot less expensively. So I think it can only be seen as a good thing if people take it the way it's intended and not just say, well, it's another it's another thing that somebody's going to make money out of the system and such like for. Because if, if it goes down that route, then it'll it'll fall apart. But I think it's it's got the potential to do something significant for the industry. Okay, well, just to wrap up, this has been very interesting. I think the message really is that the help can be given to your members to embed this process into their business. We're working on a couple of templates at the moment, which we'll, we'll share with you. And hopefully this will continue to gain traction. I certainly think there's a huge willingness to resolve issues in the industry, the best I've seen in my lifetime in the industry, which is great. So thanks to all three of you for your contributions and we'll keep you up to date with what's happening within the conflict avoidance community 